Hello and welcome to episode 138 of the Dive Down. The Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name's Shane here in Denver, not Stan. But with me on the line are not my usual co-host. Stan's on paternity leave after the birth of his lovely son. Uh, Dave just moved into his new house. I thought I'd give them the week off. But since an episode with just me would be kind of boring, I called in some reinforcements. That's right. We have with us all three hosts of Mishra's Babel. They're here for a crossover episode, our first one in a long time. We had one a while ago with our Faithless Brewing uh, family. And let me introduce these three fine gentlemen. First off on the line from Pennsylvania, it's uh, Evan, perhaps better known as Everos. Hello, hello. Also with us from uh, LA, it's Fran. Okay, Fran, uh, a.k.a. Fapalzels. I, I would like to say close uh, in a North sarcastic fashion, but yeah, that's actually pretty close. Uh, and, and by that, I mean as close as most people get it. So why do you why do you have this name so impossible to Google, my friend? Because when I started streaming, I was doing it just for fun. It was a bad idea. Terrible, terrible branding. Uh, but my last name is Pavlush, Pavlushek. And yeah, God, it, it was go. a bad idea. I should have changed a long time ago. Anyway. <laughs> All right. And then last uh, with us, finally, from Albuquerque, New Mexico, we've got Gabe, also known as Spider Space. Welcome back to the pod, Gabe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, good to be back. More importantly, though, than just your individual personas and peoples, uh, you are all part of a podcast called Mishra's Babel, right? Yeah. Yeah, we started it a little bit ago, so we're, we're still kind of fresh, but uh, we wanted to do like a little... A little something where we kind of casually talk about what's going on in modern and yeah, casual two-hour podcast. Casual you know. two-hour podcast. Well, it's casual in the sense that we just don't prepare for it at all and just kind of go in. But, it sounds uh, like it sounds really well prepared, though. So I mean, that's just what your experience and and uh, amount of playing in modern I think brings to that. We'll definitely talk more about uh, you know your streaming, who you all are, what your engagement with magic is in a little bit. Um, so on this week's app, we're going to spend some time talking with you all about all sorts of interesting stuff. You know, your streams, your podcast, your approaches to improving and learning and magic, how Horizons 2 has changed the way we we have come to think about modern. Um, also spend some time evaluating the metagame and the successful and not so successful decks of the Hunter Burton Memorial Open. I think it's going to be a fun one this week. But before all of that, we do have two weeks of housekeeping because we were off last week. Uh, so let's get cleaning. We've got three new patrons of the Dive Down Nation, some new citizens. We've got Nathan, Ryan J, and Darcy H. So thank you all for joining the, the nation. Cloudy and the other Mickey S., uh, went up in their tier. Uh, Mickey S., I don't know why he's back up for some reason. What a guy you are, the other Mickey S. Uh, we have two Mickey S's. That's a joke. Um, and then we have two new reviews. We've got reviews from Chuck Buck and Gigagertz. So thank you for your feedback. We appreciate those reviews. If you want to join the Dive Down Nation, you want to become a citizen, head on over to patreon.com slash thedivedown. The Discord is going super well. The transition over to Discord from Slack has been awesome. Um, I'm really enjoying people being able to pop in and start streaming uh, just right in Discord. I was streaming some uh, some Magic Online. I was streaming some Valorant, actually, with uh, my, my fellow Denverite, uh, Abe. That's been fun. 
So again, yeah, head on over patreon.com slash the dive down. Also, Mana Traders. I don't know if you all are part of some some competing streaming ser- rental service, but we are Mana Traders, died in the wool Mana Trader people. You can get 15% off your first two months. Use code the dive down 2021 when you sign up. Okay, before we get back to the rest of the episode, I did want to spend some time with you three. Let our listeners get to know who you are what your engagement with magic is, how long you've been playing, what you're into, that kind of stuff. You know, Spider's been on a bonus episode, but we know not everyone listens to those. So he gets <laughs> to say some of that again. We drew straws, though, and Fran gets to go first. Yes. And he gets to tell us all about himself. Fran, what's your story? Uh, all right. So uh, my name is Fran, and my uh, my last name is unpronounceable. And that's the that's the the, the gist of it, really. No. So I started uh, playing uh, Magic a long time ago. I started with Odyssey, and that's when I was like, like ten or twelve or something like that. And I I my very first deck was uh, Psychodog. And it was a very, very bad psychic dog that I traded my a friend of mine. Uh, we were both playing Pokemon and I got bored of Pokemon because we were playing at, you know, a local LGS back when I was living in Argentina. Uh, where I'm from were you like, originally. Were you, like, were you making that Blastoise deck, that broken Blastoise no, Gen No, I, I had the Blastoise deck. I had like Turbo, um, the Haymaker. And I don't know if you remember that one, but it was like hit Monchan and like Wigglytuff and stuff. And it was just unbeatable. Like it was my friend and I, and we both had this deck and we would go into the LGS and we would literally week in and week out get like first and second. Like we were always meeting the finals and it just got boring to me. So he brings magic. I'm too, I'm too good. I got to stop playing this game. It's, it's way too easy. I have to, I had to find a new challenge. I started playing magic uh, he gives me his Psychedog deck. A terrible deal. Terrible deal. I give him all my Pokemon cards. He gave me this Psychedog deck that wasn't even complete. Awful, awful deal. Uh, but I was hooked. I was hooked and I started playing. Um, then, uh, you know, I was playing at this LGS back in Argentina. The game is like not even... Ex- I don't even know what Extended is. I don't know what Standard is. Like, I have no idea about formats because we just play this and I just go in every week and I play with the cards that I own. Then I started to get a little bit more serious. I built Blue Green Madness, which I still have to this day. I showcase every every now and then because pre-modern is my my second favorite format uh, after modern. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I stopped playing in. I, I remember my my last uh, my last tournament that I went to was uh, the pre-release for Guild Pact, and then I started playing for like ten years. And I picked it back up in in, in when I was in college. And I got super into like watching videos and stuff. And I and I remember watching the the covers for Pro Tour: Born of the Gods. And in the backup match, there is Matthias Hunt playing with this deck. And he like he's playing and he's tapping a bunch of men and doing a bunch of things. He casts a Primeval Titan with one mana left or like two mana left or something. He's supporting Mana Leaks and he exiles the Simian Spirit Guide to pay for Mana Leak. And I'm just like, what the hell is going on? He picks up his deck. He gets like a Tolder West. And I'm like, what? 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 Excuse me, what? <laughs> you can do these things? Yeah. And that's uh, that. That's kind of it. Like from there, I was I was hooked. I started playing Modern. I got, uh, I bought all the cards for Splinter Twin, rest in peace. I bought all the cards for Pod, rest in peace. I bought all the cards from Amulet. They banned Summer Bloom. Uh, not rest in peace, but uh, kind of. Um and yeah, that, that's kind of how it all how it all happened for me. 
uh, and I, I started streaming mostly for fun uh, because yeah. Um, you know, during I, I work during the weekends because I'm a musician, so I usually you know play gigs. Not right now because you know pandemic and whatever. But I used to play to play music during the weekends, playing the gigs. But during the week, I'm just like, I mean, I guess I'm just gonna stream some MTGO. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm just playing MTGO at home anyway. So I'm like, let's just stream it. And I started streaming. I started to get involved in the community. People are like. Huh, this this guy who plays Samuel kind of maybe has an idea what he's talking about. And it kind of kind of just That's all it takes is someone thinking you might have an idea of what you're talking about. Yeah, that was that was kind of like the idea and then, you know, I I I started just doing it regularly. I was streaming like every day of the week and people started, you know, noticing. And then, you know, when the pandemic started, I'm just like, well, I'm not playing gigs anymore. So <laughs> may as well just like devote all my time to, to streaming. And that's uh, that's kind of what happened. So I've been doing it sort of full time uh, for, I mean, since the pandemic started kind of. And it's been, right it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. And, you know, I, I watch a lot of streams as well. And I've been wanting to do something with Evan for a while now. So I just got in touch with him and I'm just like, yeah, what would you think if we started a podcast? And he's like, but I don't want to work, man. And I'm like, what if I told you we don't have to? Like the, the whole concept of the podcast is just like couple of friends, a couple of friends just hanging out and just talking about magic. Like we just were an excuse to just like hang out and talk. And then we had... A, Technically, Spider was a guest for the first episode. And we're mm-hmm. like... Special guest host. Yeah, and we're just like... Well, that went fine. So, do you want to join full time? <laughs> that was adequate. You did an adequate job, Gabe. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, that's that's kind of the story of how how I got to, to where I'm at right now, at least. Awesome, Evan. You're up next. Sure. I got into the game around Invasion. Uh, had two older cousins that played it. I didn't really play the game, but they uh, they they gave me a, a really their bulk. Um, so I, I collected the game around Invasion, but I didn't really start playing it until about 2012. So like RTR was just coming out or I guess towards the end of RTR, uh, when I ended up in, in college, I was going to school for game design for a class. We had to learn how to play the game and then I just got super into it. <laughs> That's what happens, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it really got me I, before it was always just, Hey, I like the art on these cards, but that, uh, that got me really into it. how do you get into streaming? Once I graduated, uh, I had to kind of decide what I what I wanted to do with the the game design deal, um, and I just found that that was the aspect that I liked the most was card games and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I wanted to see if I could potentially make a living uh, creating content for Magic. I got a part time job at my LGS and kind of advertised that I was streaming content. Hey, you like magic? Maybe you'd like to watch that. That's kind of how I got my like first viewer base that got me out of the like, you know, zero to five viewers. And so that was like a little over three years ago and just kind of been doing it ever since. Eventually I started making enough that I could, I could quit that LGS job and another job I had at the time. That's awesome. And Gabe, you get to repeat yourself. Um, you've been here before, of course, but like, what's, what's your story? how do you get involved in magic and streaming and content creation? Well, first I have to lord it over my two, you know, co-hosts from Mr. Babel. Yeah, I was here first guys, you know, you, you may have <laughs> not known I was going to actually be a host of Mr. Babel, or Babel, and you even messing up our own show here, but I was on the die You're down fired. first, so that, that's all I needed, right? <laughs> Um, <laughs> as far as, uh, how I got into magic, 
Yeah, uh, my my older brother actually played the game before I did, and I'm sure, like, as a pretty young kid, he was like, hey, you want to, like, try to play this game? I, I, I imagine, actually, what was going on in his mind was, like, he was bored, and he was like, I'm going to give you whatever trash deck we have, and, like, beat up on you playing that. And so I didn't know what was going on for a while, just taking all those L's, and then, you know, eventually, like, emerged from the ashes. I feel kind of like Bane or something of, like, you know, like, forged in the darkness kind of deal. Um, and I, I really didn't take it too seriously for, for a while, I did a little bit of standard at like the local LGS. This would have been like Delver era standard with like uh, Mirrodin besieged um, Innistrad standard. And let's see. I don't know. I, I played with some guys at the local university. And it was kind of a weird thing where it was just like bring whatever deck you want. And so you had people playing all sorts of jank and then also so true like, kitchen table. Yeah. I mean, it was true kitchen table, but you'd have people who were bringing like, Oh, I don't know. Here's just a random collection of stuff I had back in the day. And people who were like, here's my enchantress legacy deck. <laughs> and so it was, it was on full spectrum. And the guy who had enchantress actually also had death and taxes. And I was like, man, like that's, that's pretty cool. That time that you didn't let me do anything repeatedly i really liked that um and so (laughs) when i got into modern it was like man how do i want to do this and the the the, actually the interaction the reason i got into taxes was i was like okay so there's no caracas in modern but what if i used manamo and um um oh man mangara i almost forgot the name of the card Mangara Manamo to try to exile multiple things. The idea being like, you tap it to exile something, untap it in response, exile another thing. Maybe you get to like violin flicker wisp to save it. This was my dream. This is why I got into to taxes to begin with. So I played like blue white taxes and it was horrible. And you can find my like MTGO results way back <laughs> in the day getting in it. We didn't have modern locally paper at the time. So I got into MTGO, which is where I really started to become competitive eventually i know i I just told you mangara manamo and you're like competitive but eventually that's how it happened and kind of like fran it was just sort of like hmm like i'm just playing anyway so what if i just like streamed you guys and it was mostly to the like taxes community uh they were largely like mtg salvation based folks who i now to this day argue with on discord uh (laughs) if you're not arguing about magic are you really playing it probably not Probably not. Um, but I don't even, I don't know, man. I, I feel like it's a sham. I'm like talking about Thalia and I haven't even registered a taxes deck in a while. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually really excited to talk to you guys in a little bit after, after our breakdown segment about, you know, what you're playing, how you're adapting to the new meta game and, and things like that. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you all are here. I'm glad that you're, you have your own pod on Mishra's Babble. I think it's, it's awesome. I do listen to it. You have listened to every ep, and I think you guys are doing a really great job. So I'm, I'm glad to have you all on. Uh, help our listeners be aware of you if they're not already. So they can find you, what, in all the usual podcast outlets, right? Spotify, Apple Pods, any uh, RSS space type thing. We're looking to how to get into Apple Pods. I, I am the one dealing with all of the nonsense. I, I am not texting oh, at yeah. all. I am not I am not tech savvy at all. So I've been using like Anchor or whatever and that like shoots us mm-hmm. into a bunch of platforms. Not Apple Podcasts, which is the one that I personally use, so it's really frustrating. Uh, yeah, I think you should probably take care of that, Fran. Yeah, I I I've been meaning to for a while, but you know, again, like 
the whole point about this podcast was to not make any effort whatsoever. So that was important to do an effort. So I've been kind of pushing it because it's going to happen. Just bear with us. Hire an intern. <laughs> this is what we signed up for, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again for being here. Thanks for all the introductions. And let's head on in into the, the breakdown segment. We're going to be talking again about the Hunter Burton Memorial Open. We weren't on last week and i'm actually kind of glad because we didn't really have a great full like selection of data to look at like about last sunday or so but we got all these deck lists to look at and so now we were able to take a good look and look at the metagame how things performed and this was really kind of the first big paper tournament for modern in what like two and a half years something like that i mean it's no like a year and a half rather not two and a half years uh, i mean we, um, we had regionals in last february and i remember those being yeah. those being like yeah. the last actually you know in-person tournaments that could have like 200 plus people um, exactly so it's been a minute so um yeah right these kind of tournaments are different than magic online tournaments because the metagame's different the type of people that attend them are different i think it's a little bit more on the casual spike end of things which is great for uh, us and our listeners to talk about. And the, this tournament took place on the 14th and 15th of August. Already sounds like a super long time ago, but I think, you know, for all the reasons we just talked about, right, I think I want to spend some time looking at it. Uh, I already did spend a bunch of time looking at it, and I want to talk to you about what I found and the numbers that we've been kind of bouncing around in our, in our Discord chat prior to firing this episode off. Um, before we get into the numbers, though, the Hunter Burton Memorial Open is a yearly event. It's held in memory of Hunter Burton, and the goal of the event is to increase awareness of suicide uh, in the gaming community. The event's grown over the years, and I know a lot of people this year were looking forward to attending it. 526 players were listed. What's weird about the deck lists is that after like the first 444 players, the deck list availability gets really inconsistent. So I'm not sure if like players registered and didn't attend, or if like deck list registration wasn't required, or they just didn't get in. But I don't know. It, there's a large, but there's still a ton of data for us to look at here. And what I did is look at the top 300 decks, because this took a while. I didn't want to do all 444, okay? And normalized all the data so that the things were named appropriately. Like, every rogue deck was called, like, Death and Taxes Twin or something like that. <laughs> like, so I had to kind of look at what these rogue decks were, uh, kind of see if, you know, if Jund was actually Jund or whatever. And then I went to work with our old friend, Microsoft Excel, Microsoft get at us. We want that uh, sponsorship. <laughs> so the top 300 meta. Okay, let's talk about this top 300 meta. Bear with me. I'm going to read some numbers to you all, and then we can actually talk about this. So the open field, more or less, day one or day maybe 1.5. Is it Merktide? 30 copies, 10%. Hammer time, 25 copies, 83 Decks that were unknown were about 5%. Four-color elementals at 5%. Cascade Rhinos, high fours. Then we've got Tron and Jund, <laughs> the two pillars of modern uh, at 4%. Never will they ever be under 4% at any paper tournament ever. Uh, Red White Burn also at high threes. So Boros Burn, Jund, and Tron, every LGS ever will have these three decks. Uh, but then start, things start getting a little bit weird. We have Bring Delight Valky at about 2.7%. Uh, 
Uh, is it Prowess? 2.3. Heliod Life Gain? 2.3. We got Grixis Shadow, the dress down version. Seven copies, about 2.3%. Also, Yogmoth, same amount, 2.3%. Then, a bunch of stuff at about two. We got Living End, Enchantress, Mardu, no, not Mardu, uh, Rakdos Monkey, and Grixis Lurus, Eldrazi Tron, because it is a paper tournament, and Azorius Control at all about 2%, and then other 32%. So, y'all, here's our overall paper meta for our first pretty large paper tournament. What are you thinking about what people brought here, what they expected to win with, what maybe they didn't bring? Any surprises? I mean, I definitely expected Murktide and Hammer Tide to be the, or in Hammer Time to be the two most represented decks, and they super are. I thought Hammer Time was going to actually be a bit more than Murktide. Me too. Me too. Yeah, I, I, I am a big believer in this deck. I think it is super, super good. Um, I, I think people still underestimate how good it is. Um, and Hammer I think, Time, you mean? Hammer Time, yeah. Compared, so I, I think people underestimate Hammer Time, and that's probably why we're seeing Murktide being more represented. But those were 100% the two decks I thought were going to be up there. I thought Rhinos was going to be the, right there with them as well. Yeah, um, I agree there too. So a little surprised to see that one uh, with some lower numbers. But Honestly, like the the thing that surprised me the most is like that is the stuff that I expected to see, like the Murktide and the Hammer Time at the top of the, of the, the, the whole thing. Elemental 16, I wonder how much of that is uh, how expensive the deck really is in paper. Like yeah, we're it's talking a wild about one. like fifteen hundred dollars. Like this deck is is ridiculously expensive. So and it's the kind of thing that not people people don't have like eighty percent of it sitting around. Like exactly. you know, they didn't have they didn't have to like modify their Jun deck to like be you know the new one. It's like these are this is a whole new deck. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and all of the new cards that this deck plays are expensive, and a bunch of them is just like sure, like Solitude is a great card, but I don't think there are any other. I'm gonna say good decks. Despite they're gonna say death and taxes, but like any other decks that really play, uh, play will play for copies. You know, like it's not a card that you're just like super happy to. Yeah, let's just I'm just gonna jam four copies of this card that's gonna two for one myself every time I want to kill anything. Um, so because of that, it's like it just forces you into buying some cards that maybe you don't want. And also like Flame King Harbinger, which is like the one drop that tutors. That card is ten bucks, dude. Oh Ten bucks in paper. Like, how insane is that? Like, I, I would expect people to just like not be playing as much this deck, mostly because of the price tag. If, if I'm being honest. Um, and the, the other thing that surprised me, I was expecting Heliod to be huge. I still Heliod, I still think Heliod is nuts right now, and I, I still think that they are obviously very heavily underplayed because you know, Magic Online, right? So. Uh, but I played against the Helio deck at my LGS, uh, like when I went for the first time in, in forever, like two weeks ago, maybe. And I got paired against it. And my opponent goes like, well, turn two, I'm going to play this Heliod. And turn three, I'm going <laughs> to, you know, like collected company. Here's a spike feeder. I'm like, oh, that's right. I can't win anymore. <laughs> that That's it. Like, that's that's the game. It's like, I don't have, we don't have to sit here and I have to, you know, like you have to click a million times and it's just like, sure, you're like gaining 15, uh, 500 life, but I, I can deal 500 damage. So it's fine. No, no, no. This is just like, I'm at like 5 billion life. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to deal that much damage. So like we're done here. Um, so I'm surprised that more people did not uh, bring that deck also because it's the kind of deck that oftentimes is quite popular 
you know, like creature combo decks like Meliripod sure. we had in the past and like whatnot. Like those kind of decks usually, you know, people like that kind of deck a lot. So I was surprised to to not see more of that, particularly because it's kind of like the only deck in that vein that is is viable right now. Sure, like the, the Yagmoth deck, I guess it's also pretty similar and that deck is also very, very good and, and very, very underplayed. But I guess that's a little, a little bit different because I think that deck is actually pretty hard to play. So, oh yeah, um, you know, and it's kind of like the same deal, you know, like it's it's a new archetype almost. Um, even though it's like two or three years ago that the deck has been has been around, but uh, but I mean, honestly, it looks kind of similar to to the paper meta. Besides Jund, right? Like Jund twelve copies, like Jund being four percent of the main game. That's definitely an outlier. That is not true. Yeah, that deck is unplayable. It will continue being unplayable as long as people want to register Liliana of the Veil. Uh, if, if people want to be realistic and they want to play Luros, maybe we can have a little bit of, of a conversation, but um, just don't play Liana and Blood Raid Elf anymore, please. Uh, yeah, I do think a lot of the versions were kind of the lower to the ground, like Luris, Monkey type ones, but there were a few old school Jun's uh, players as well. Yeah. Uh, uh, Gabe, any thoughts on this meta? Yeah, I, I think it's pretty similar to what I would expect. Um, to echo what Evan said, I would have expected more Rhinos, or at least more Cascade in general. Living End was only right. at 2%, and I, I definitely would expect more of that. I, I think that deck is really, really good. It's bonkers I, good. I would actually place that as the best unfair deck in the format, or at least maybe I should just say the most degenerate deck in the format, because I, I, I think it's a little more degenerate than Rhinos, even if it's a little easier to hate out. Yeah, like I played against uh, one of the the citizens, and I were both at uh, our LGS here in Denver uh, last week, and he brought uh, Living End, and he went f- easy four zero. Uh, we actually got paired up against each uh, other in the first the first round, of course, as one does when you go with a friend, right? Of course. Uh, and it's it's funny, like even when I had some hate out. You know, my, my clock was not as it's the, the old adage: if you have hate, you have to have a clock, right? You know, disruption mm-hmm. without a clock is useless. And of course, like you know, he starts hard casting his creatures on like you know three and four and five mana and things like that. It's just like, well, you you have actual beaters that you didn't even need. You don't need the living end type thing. It's just like this. This is a legitimate deck that has multiple angles of attack and super ridiculous redundancy. Like you know, grief ephemerate doesn't do much when they top deck shardless agent you know mm-hmm. yeah and and i think it's one of the things um you know with, with the with the cascade decks uh, we actually talked about this in in our latest episode uh where evan put this very very eloquently um he was kind of like putting um the cascade decks in a sort of a venn diagram where you have you know your your setup required and then you have your your bustedness you know uh, and like uh, definitely living end is a deck that requires a lot more setup but in terms of bustedness it's kind of like insane right like yeah. they, 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 like completely destroying your board and then putting 20 power into play that is what i would consider strong yeah yeah, yeah and, the, and the i feel like the setup the setup is just cycling right and the setup is just drawing more cards yes, yeah, how the, bad is that you can use you can use like hate to stop that setup like if if you if your opponent right. is cycling but you have like a relic going on, then sure. you, exactly. you're kind of like yeah, like that, a void walker. That, exactly, exactly. So that kind of stuff is it's, it doesn't really do anything in that sense. Uh, while the rhinos requires no setup whatsoever, 
you just uh, you know you, you just, yeah, you're just right. you just get two four fours in but that's it you know like you just get eight power in and that's all you get like you still have to deal with your opponent's side of the battlefield your opponent can just play one engineering explosive it's just like well that's that's it like that's what it was <laughs> like i just had i just had those two riders right on i want to talk more about this this deck or maybe these these a few of these decks later on this episode but one of the things i was surprised to see not so much of is amulet titan only like four copies in the top 300. Food is basically non-existent. There, there was more spirits pilots than there were hardened scales pilots. There were three spirits, <laughs> two hardened scales, right? It's just like the stuff that people were maybe sleeping on and not bringing as much. Like I thought we'd probably see more Grixis Luris. I thought we might see some more like uh, Rakdos or Mardu Luris style decks as well. I think those are the kind of decks people seem to like playing. Yeah, and the one thing that I would have thought as well is Reanimator. Where Where's Reanimator? I know it made right. the top eight, but I, I actually have been really liking just putting Archon of Cruelty into play. So maybe that that's just like my soft spot. <laughs> oh man, but... you and me both, my friend. That's what I that's what I've been trying to iterate on this week. It's a lot of fun. I think if you combine the Orzov and Esper variants, there were six copies total, so that would kind of put it in the bottom of our chart. Okay. And those decks, I mean, they function fairly similarly, both some a little bit different angles of attack, I think. But So yeah, they're, they're there, and like you said, as we keep going down into this metagame, we'll see them kind of, I think, keep floating to the top. So what I want to do is head into the top 128 of the meta. So it's kind of maybe like... Look at a conversion rate, maybe like a day two. We're going to start seeing some, not the actual day two. I actually don't know where the cutoff was. Maybe I should have. We start seeing some significant shifts from the wider overall metagame. So here we see hammer time shoot to 15.6% of the meta. So basically doubles its meta share from eight to about 16. Merc tide stays about the same at 9.3. Four color elementals also stays a, a little bit higher, goes up about 1.5% up to seven. Burn at 5.5. Rhinos at... This chart doesn't make sense. I'm looking at my numbers and they don't add up. But anyway, <laughs> let's, let's, just, let's just go for total decks instead of percentages, okay? Five copies of Burn, five copies of Teamer Rhinos. We've got four copies of Tron, four Living End, four Yawgmoth, three Prowess, three Unknown decks still. This is where we start seeing Reanimator. Th uh, all three Orzov Reanimator pilots made it to the top 128. Uh, three of the Heliod players made it up there. Three of the Grixis Death uh, Dressdown Shadow variants made it. Etron somehow sticking around. Three of our Bring to Light pilots. So there was a total of what? How many total earlier? I don't eight. even have. I think it was maybe like yeah. So yeah. So three of the eight uh, converted. Three Amulet Titan actually made it up to the top 128. So they did well. And three of the Affinity pilots also as well. So what I wanted to do here is kind of highlight who who improved and who fell. And so most obviously was hammer time. You know, if, when you go from 8 to 16, that's a that's a big game when you're converting that well. I think dress down shadow and Grixis shadow in general did really well. Living end, as we were saying, a quality deck, uh Yawgmoth. and then our biggest falls were Jund, <laughs> 12 pilots down to 2. No kidding. Uh, uh, this this one surprised me, and I and before we even move on to talk about anything else, Rakdos and Grixis Luris decks crashed. There was eleven of those pilots total in the top three hundred. None of them were in the top one twenty eight. 
what do you think was it just kind of randomness is this a deck that you think is is being overplayed and overhyped right now like is it just weak to certain things that people aren't prepared for I think it's a very rock-solid deck that isn't... Right? I mean, it it does have a little bit of vulnerability to Graveyard Hate, right? Um, but besides that, you know, it's it's kind of got that Jundiness to it where there's not too much you can do to, like, you know, directly hate this deck. It's not like it's Living End and you can just, like, no Graveyard, you're gone, or whatever. Um, I, I can't believe zero decks made 128. It, it, it's just a... It's just a very good deck. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've watched this deck do so much. It's a great Luris deck. I would say it's one of one of the best like decks that are really putting Luris specifically to use, not just like having an adjacent Luris. I mean, what I think is that this is the kind of deck that you kind of give to your friend. Um, you know, like this deck is just solid. You know, um, but if you give it to a friend of yours that hasn't. That just hasn't been played modern for a while. I didn't want to be so explicit, but yes. If you give it to Shane and, you know. (laughs) He goes 1-3 drop because he doesn't know how to handle (laughs) mid-range decks. Exactly. But but that's that's exactly what I was going to say. Like, this is a deck of percentages. This is a deck of percentages where every single decision you make. And you have so many decisions to make, dude. Like, DRC in particular and, and and I love watching like Aspiring Spike as he goes through this. Like the amount of uh, when he streams, you know, he just like every turn he's doing like seven things every single turn. He says, "Okay, so I'm gonna be playing this before this because of this reason." And then this gives me more value, so I'm just gonna bubble right now instead of bubbling on your upkeep because of this other reason. I want to play around this card, or I want to like I need to draw exactly this card, so I need to do this. And I want to put you know I'm gonna surveil this card of the DRC and put it into a graveyard, or I'm gonna keep it on top. You know, there's like so many decisions every single turn, and every single decision that you make is it, it just it's just a possibility for a mistake. Like, this is what I, this is, even though people don't, I don't think they think about it in these terms, but these are, these are what I would consider hard decks to play because you have so many decisions and the more decisions that you have, you have to, um, like, that's more of a possibility for you to make a mistake and that's a percentage that you're losing. Uh, you know, as opposed to decks that don't really have that many decisions, like Boggles or something like that. Like, you don't really have that many decisions. Once you have Mulligan and you kept your hand, it's just like, well, turn one Boggle, because otherwise I'm going to Mulligan. So, like, that, that it's kind of, like, more scripted in a way, or, like, at least harder to mess up. Um, but in terms of, like, actions that you have to make every single turn, like, the chances for, for mistakes are just astronomical. And, um, you know with every percentage that you lose, like, your deck becomes worse and worse. Like, Ragavan is just a 2-1, right? Like, it, it, it's it's stoppable in a way. Sure, it's an extremely, extremely powerful card, but if you're not extracting every single little bit of value that you can, that you can from it and from DRC, then they become a lot weaker. I think, I think the opposite of this would be looking at a deck like Living End, because that's a deck where it's like, I'm literally just cycling my cards and then casting a thing. There's not really that many decision points. Um, and then you see, like, you know, it has a much better conversion rate because it's so much more straightforward to play. Something interesting to note is that the versions with Shadow are the ones that made it. And I, I don't actually think these decks are all that different with or without Shadow. Like, yes, they're both 
you know, like you're going to have to play it differently in terms of like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to shock this land, even if I didn't need to, but either way, you know, you're still playing those discard spells. You're still playing all these same like mid rangey control cards. It's like they, they share a lot of the same things. And I, I'm, I'm curious as to, you know, what that difference is. Maybe shadow provides some of those free wins and actually kind of disagree with you, Evan, of like, yeah, living in provides free wins, but Having played the deck some, I, I found it actually extremely challenging to navigate some of these matches of like, all right, like, am I supposed to go for it at this point? Like, how much am I supposed to cycle? Am I supposed to cycle this card or that card? Like, you know, for instance, you maybe you have to hold your black card because you want to, in case you drew grief, you have to pitch it to grief. So it's it's actually a lot more intricate than it might seem. And I actually think that's also very much the case with hammer time. I, I know there's a lot of kind of uh, like, oh, it's just hammer time. You just put your hammer on the thing, herd or I'm dead. And yes, they have those draws, but I actually think there are a ton of tiny edges with hammer time to be gained as well. Like, I know I played against, uh, Will, Will Kruger in, in one of the like MTGO, you know, prelim things. And it was like, I had played against hammer the previous round. And all of a sudden, I, when I played against him, it was like, this, this is an entire different world. So, you know, they have those free wins though. So maybe that's part of that conversion rate. But then once you like do that cut, I think, you know, those better players are going to rise. And I think a lot of the maybe worse ones will fall. I, ha I have a theory about the shadows, Grixis, then down the death down, no dress down uh, th uh, thing. And is, this is an extremely new archetype. And this archetype is almost exclusively being, uh, you know, brought forward by by Spike, who actually top aided the event with the deck. So mm -hmm. spoilers. So what? Oh, <laughs> I, I wasn't supposed to go there. All right, sorry. Um, but anyway, two week old tournament. Come on. So 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 what I'm talking. <laughs> so what I'm talking about is this requires a level of investment and being up to date that I would not expect from a casual player. So like if a, a player that that registered Grixis Shadow with Dressdown, like that is a player that has yeah. been watching and following the format Cutting very edge. very carefully, exactly, and they did them their homework, right? Like they're they're not just like showing up to to like you know to play to play Magic and have some fun. Like the, those are players that are like you know practiced and that know that know what's up. So like I, I'm not surprised that they are they are converting in in that ratio. And it's still it was like seven people total in the entire event so like clearly it wasn't that that many of them so right on and then um staying about the same between like the overall field and our top 128 merc rhinos elementals tron burn prowess and heliod all are still sticking out they're not falling out they're not rising above kind of their initial uh percentage share they're doing just fine and so we can head into the top 32 now where we again are going to talk about some numbers um, and then we can really see kind of you know, top 32 is I think what we typically look at for what's succeeding. That's what we see on magic online when the, you know, the big challenges and stuff like that. So we've got five copies of hammer time. That's fifth, about 16%. So that's sticking around 16 Merc tide at 12.5 rhinos about 9.4. And then we get our copy or two copies each of burn dress down shadow Yogmoth, Bring the Light Valky, and Four Color Elementals. Those are about 6%. And then a bunch of one-offs like Is It Prowess, Tron, Polymorph Combo, uh, our Orzov Reanimator Pilot, you know, our Ponza Pilot, even Etron. Uh, Blue Moon is hanging out there, because why not? You know, That's someone cool. who's good at Blue Moon. Um, yeah, so 
what we can look at now is what our most successful decks over the day kind of look like. And I think the standout decks in terms of where they started and where they ended up were Hammer Time, Cascade Rhinos, Bring to Light, Valky, Yogmoth, Burn, and Dress Down, Shadow. And just a little bit better than expected were things like Murktide and Elementals. So what about these decks, y'all? Do you think it's the decks, the kind of pilots that would bring these decks? Because, you know, Yogmoth, I think there were seven pilots total. So it's not like, you know, that's not a huge amount of data for us to be like, okay, there were 20 Yogmoth pilots and 12 of them made it type thing. So when you look at this list, is anything standing out as a surprise or what you kind of hope to see or plan to see? Sure. Uh, I think the the funniest thing to me is the, the dress down shadow. Like you were saying, it has to be people doing their homework and their homework is just watching aspiring spike like that. That's it. <laughs> so uh, like, I, I think that's pretty much him propping up the category. I know we had a couple of other pilots do that, but I, I feel like if aspiring spike wasn't at the tournament, maybe you, you wouldn't have so many uh, dress down shadow, you know, it, it did such a good conversion rate. Yeah, that's that's possible for sure. Uh, yeah, no. What, what I was thinking is, uh, these are just all you know top of the top of the line decks. These are all decks that you know you could tell me you know could this deck win an event? Yes. If you if you told me Bant Ephemerate can win an event, I'm gonna be like, uh, uh. <laughs> what what about what's this Bring the Light Valky deck doing? Because you know I pay attention to the game more than most people, I imagine. I still don't have a great grasp. Is that just kind of a bring to light control shell that has Valky as an option, it's, or what is it trying to do? It's more mid rangey, but but yeah, it, it's more of a mid range deck. It's doing it's doing Omnath stuff. It's it's leveraging Omnath things. For me, it's it's very reminiscent of like pre ban Uro. It's like what has taken place of that like four color Uro Omnath pile. Yeah, I think I think that what we're talking about is the Scapeshift deck right here. Uh, that's at least the one that I saw on camera uh, for, during the event. So. Um, it's, uh, it's, um, we actually played, uh, Spider and I played it in the showcase in the last, uh, the last time, uh, the last showcase, uh, it didn't go well for us, but it's, it's, it's a fine deck, I swear. Um, so it's a good deck that can play, uh, Chalice if it needs to. And I think the Chalice is a very, very good card right now. Uh, not so, uh, not so much as of the last week, maybe. Um, but may, you know, like a couple of weeks ago, I thought that Chalice was just really, really well positioned. So it, it's a very good deck that can play that. Uh, it has some early interaction in the form of um, um, Ren and Six and uh, Prismatic Ending, so it can it can deal with with smaller threats. It, and then it has a Ramp with Explore and Dread of Deletion Grove, and then it has you know, like sort of the mid game, that's when we started looking at, at Omnath. And, and then finally uh, at the top end, we have Bring to Light, which can find you either Valky, it can find your Supreme Verdict or something like that in case you're looking for interaction. Or if you have enough lands in play, you can straight up find the escape shift and can kill you out of nowhere. What I was wondering was actually, you just described the, the escape shift variant. I was wondering if this was actually something more like the aspiring spike deck of last season, which was the Luris Bring to Light deck, that is more you know blue based. Uh, you know, so you're playing like Archmage's Charm, and I don't know, maybe they're playing Counterspell now. I don't know how that deck has been updated, but because that was a really good deck in the old format, and that also played a bunch of the best cards. I know I myself was trying to iterate on that, and I, I think that shell can be built a lot of different ways, which is perhaps what you know what we're speaking about right now is just you know, 
five mana Valky is still really good. It used to be three mana, now it's five, still great. Yeah. Um, no, the, the one that I saw on camera at least was that one. So yeah, the shells, the first three at least I'm looking at, all seem like they're the same build where it's like the single copy of Scape Shift and like the Dryad and the Omnath and all that kind of just good value potential combo stuff. Yeah, so the, the, those are the versions that are the most popular, and personally, I think they are the better versions. So you have like random dryad kills out of nowhere. You know, you just you, you're playing the full four copies of Valakut, so you sometimes naturally find your Valakut, and then you play dryad, and you you know start using the fetch lands that you get from Renna Six, and boom, 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 just dealt <laughs> to completely destroy your opponent's board, and you kill them on the following turn or something like that. Uh, but there are other versions, uh, like when I was playing in the mocks uh, or uh, the mocks qualifier, I guess, um, I was actually trying out a version without that. And instead of doing that, you're just playing like a bunch of interaction. So you could play, you know, you could add like a fifth color, play Kaya's Guile, Lightning Bolt, uh, you know, play some more early game and play more of a mid-range version. Because I think Omneth is very, very powerful in that deck. Oh my gosh, yeah, Omneth yeah, is uh, absurd. Omnath is extremely good and the the curve of you know explore on turn like two or three or like or, or dried or whatever like ramp somehow and then turn four play Omnath into a fetch land into bring to light is it's just unbeatable like that 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 <laughs> curve is just absolutely ridiculous so um I, I because of that I was trying to build like a, a deck that could play you know multiple sweepers and like Kaya's Guile which I thought was well positioned and stuff like that so uh there's so so much customization that's possible with this archetype um and it's a lot of fun it's actually a very very fun deck because uh you are just you know doing your interactive stuff and sometimes you have like this sort of races and then omnath comes down and just like well (laughs) now the game is over i guess (laughs) you start gaining seven life every single turn with a fetch land or whatever and it's a good deck it's a good deck yeah just just pull away with the game yeah I'm, i'm not surprised that the deck did well um, but this one is, even though it's an objectively powerful deck, it feels more of a more of a metagame deck in a way. Uh, like it's just very, it, it's objectively good, but it's like better positioned against some decks than than others, mm-hmm. right? Like if if you're if there's a bunch of counter spells in the format, uh, like namely Blue Red Murktide, you know, who's also playing Blood Moon. Um, it's not particularly easy to beat the Murtite deck with this with this archetype. Sure, like Super Murtite does a lot of work there, but you know it's hard to cast through a Blood Moon kind of deal. Uh, it's 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 more of a metagame deck, I would say, than uh, th- than maybe the others like the, the the Hammer Time or the Rhinos deck. Right on. All right, let's tie a bow on the Memorial Open. Let's go to the top eight. Give props to them. We've got first place Gary Wong. On Teamer Rhinos, pretty stock-looking list to me. Uh, second place, Christian Castro on four-color Rhinos to complete our all-Rhino finals. I didn't see anything particularly interesting in either of these lists that stood out as kind of interesting tech. Just solid decks with by piloted by <laughs> solid players. Up next in third, Joseph Schelling on Jund Food. I like the look of this deck. I'm sure it doesn't play out how... Uh, would not play out well for me because this is one of those kind of long, grindy uh, decks. Jun Food is kind of what I think you'd think. It's just like an Asmo deck. It's got the you know the Street Race and the Daredevils, but it tries to stay low to the, low to the ground with Dragon's Rage Channeler and Tarmogoyf to get the beats in. Uh, but besides that, you know the kind of typical Traverse finale of uh, Devastation, Bolts, Cookbooks, all that kind of good stuff. 
what do you all think? We didn't talk about food yet. Uh, I'm curious what your thoughts are on the the food archetype and its relative uh, fall from early success, more or less, or at least early high high levels of people playing it. Yeah. So I, I think food is kind of hitting, first of all, it's hitting a lot of the same hate that some of the other best decks are hitting in Hammer Time, right? So like if you have hate for Hammer Time Saga, you have hate for Food Saga, right? And it just so happens that that one of the main cards in the deck in Asmo also gets hit by those engineered explosives, right? Or those mm-hmm. like, you know, you can get chaliced on zero or something. Um, I've been ratchet bombed. So I, I think it's <laughs> been, you know, it's hitting some of that splash hate. I also think that while this deck has some really excellent starts that, you know, could be some of the best starts in the format, uh, it's also not always that consistent. So I, I think something, you know, this particular list, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm like, where's the red in six, right? Uh, yeah, right. And I think that's kind of, at least in my mind, one of the missing pieces to this puzzle is you kind of need like a backup daredevil, right? So you have like kind of these ways of, oh, I like got the book off of Saga or like I drew Asmo and I cycled Street Wraith or I uh, finaled for it, but you don't actually have a way of like, oh, if I didn't draw daredevil, I can't like do the cool free thing every turn, which is like kind of how you well, it's like what the deck is oh, trying to do. <laughs> um, and Ren and Six can kind of function as that like additional, you know, you just can like pitch that land you pick up every turn if you want to. And also, of course, Ren and Six getting back Saga is insane. Um, but the mana is really difficult. And I, I also think like some of these decks are, can be misbuilt. Not, not saying this one in particular, but uh, Urza Saga doesn't really cast most of your spells a lot of the time. And it's just kind of like these decks are really hard to build. They can be hard to play. Uh, they also you like trying to sideboard with them is really hard. And then while you're all trying to figure that stuff out, you're also getting smacked by all the hate in the format for everything else. <laughs> right on. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say that, yeah, this deck is actually misbuilt and it should play at least two more lands. <laughs> That's so which many is, decks though, right? Which is like That's something so that decks. I say constantly, man. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's insane how people constantly want to cut down on lands. I am exactly on the other end of the spectrum. I want to add more lands to my deck. I never yeah, add leave. some cycling lands, add some, you know, horizon lands. Dude, just add some lands that tap for mana. Like casting your spells is great. Like not I've having heard that. not having to move into five because you hit more, you know, a bunch of one landers, you know, over and over and again. Um it's a lot easier to not hit one landers when you're playing, you know, twenty-two or twenty-three lands at least, you know. Uh, right but it's it's really really funny i see like ren and six decks with like 20 lands and like six of them are fetch lands and it's just like dude like what's ren and six doing in this deck you can never cast it and like even when you do you can't even get back a fetch because you're only playing six yeah i mean to defend joseph here a little bit i mean traverse can look like another land here because it does get a basic land card uh for just a single green mana but then you have to make sure you have enough green sources and I'm not sure. Let's see. We've got one, two, three, four. Yeah. Maybe shaving a little bit light on the green sources here to even be able to cast the traverse. So there's a lot of issues that go into trying to balance a, a deck like this. And you know, maybe you just shave, you shave a, a couple traverse and you had a couple lands and you're probably happier overall in the long run. But they did just fine. But, you know, don't be results oriented, right? Yeah, for sure. And like the whole Street Wraith and Mishra's Bubble Countess Lance arguments, let's just, let's just don't. <laughs> let's just let's not do it's that. not a real land <laughs> let's, let's let's be realistic here 
Uh, up next, fourth place, Ed Bracamontes, uh, Spider. This Here's our Orzov Reanimator friend uh, with a pretty, I mean, I'd say if you can think about a stock Orzov Reanimator deck that's trying to do one thing, and that's reanimate stuff, uh, it would be this deck. Doesn't try to. It doesn't have any Stoneforge stuff main. It's not doing any kind of you know any kind of weird alternate game plans. It has the Stoneforge package in the side uh, with you know for Stoneforge a Calder complete and a Batter Skull of course. But overall, this deck has one game plan, and it's a it, it can be a pretty good one. But I've been playing this a pretty good amount, and I'm curious on your thoughts before I get into mine. Oh, I I hate this deck. <laughs> <laughs> Coming in hot. I like that they're trying to do their plan and they're like devoted to like, all right, this is, you know, this is what we're doing. Right. Um, I really, really dislike the Stoneforge package in the sideboard. This is like a huge package to, to put in your sideboard. Oh my, yeah. It's I'm, I'm going to, I'm just going to stop you there and agree. I do not. I just think it's like with the, the decks that this deck is bad against, you need so much more hate than what, you can have with a 15 card sideboard where six of them are stoneforge yeah, in my opinion it just it just doesn't i, I don't think you can do that I, I understand they're they're trying to do like a juke thing so i would guess they're like boarding out their like archons and the emissary like basically all the reanimator stuff but you 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 literally can't do it like you you've got unmarked grave as a four of archon as a four of uh you've got your priests your serrat like there there's too many graveyard cards to actually board it all out if you're like expecting a i don't know a rip or a ley line or whatever it might be i I also just don't love the whole like grief thing here i know like when the first format we are speaking the same language i want to get go on and then i'm going to jump in (laughs) i know when the format first came out everyone's oh my goodness like uh, you just you grief and then you you ephemerate it and it's just woo i win and I, I just don't know how often that actually happens. Like, doesn't, it doesn't happen. It, it just doesn't. You, you, you have do a three, that, two clock and then you have nothing and you're not disrupting them after that. And then it's like your opponent just draws cards, like yeah. most cards. And you draw like two, you know, you draw like an archon of cruelty. You draw like a redundant persist and you're not doing anything. Yeah. You're, you're doing actual nothing. And I, I get, you know, you can like persist the grief if they kill it, but guess what? They're empty handed. So you're like now you have a two one instead, and you're like all right, yeah, I'm really Ooh, I got there. Get them with it. Uh, so I, I I don't know. I I think that while putting Archon of Cruelty into play is a super powerful thing, and I think like Sarah's emissary can just straight up win. Oh yeah, certain matches. matchups, yeah, just wins. Uh, I I don't I don't like these just straight up like here's the thing, do nothing else. Like especially not with the the, the Stoneforge package. I. I just wouldn't build the deck to be like an all-in reanimator thing. I think if you're going to do that, the main deck here is close-ish, but I probably just like wouldn't do the whole grief thing. I just wouldn't do that. I've actually been testing uh, a build. I've just shaved grief entirely, and I've shaved ephemerate entirely, and I've sort of, you know, added a you know, another Knight's Whisper, a Bone Show, you know, a couple things here and there, and brought Stoneforge main, because it's just that's my alternate game plan. Is I'd rather have the alternate game plan of Stoneforge than I would of Grief, and I'm not. I mean, I'm not saying this is right. It's just something I'm testing because I think that this deck is. They still have a long way to go, in terms of how are we going to build this to be consistent at winning the game. Like, am I consistent at reanimating something? Maybe. Am I consistent at winning the game? Is very different. <laughs> 
Um, it's, it's not always the case. Let's move on to our you know friend of both of our shows. I believe he was on. He was on uh, Mishra's Babble pretty early, right? Everett Mohan, aka Aspiring Spike, on his Grixis Death Shadow build with Dress Down, and you know it's it's what you think it is. It's got good cards: Ragavan, DRC, Death Shadow, Kroxa. And the big tech, if you, if you haven't been, I mean, you, we've talked about this deck a lot, and you might know what we're talking about, but you might not. And Dressdown was a card we all just kind of, you know, kicked to the curb during spoiler season. One in the blue enchantment with Flash. Uh, when it ETBs, you draw a card. Oh, that sounds great. Oh, well, also, creatures lose all abilities. Losing all abilities is something that you could just think about for the next half hour. And think about the impact that could have on uh, a turn, a block, an attack, anything. And also the fact that the next line of text, at the beginning of the end step, sacrifice, dress down. So that also, because it has flash, can come into play for a lot of different ways as well. Whether it's you want it to happen on your turn, whether if you want it to happen on your opponent's turn. Like the span of time you want creatures to lose abilities, uh, there's a lot of thinking and planning and like manipulation of a game state that can happen with such a simple card. If you could call a card with six lines of text simple anymore, but so ever identified, I think primarily the interaction with death shadow, which death shadow reads, it gets minus X minus X where X is your life total 13, 13 with dress down on the battlefield. Death shadow is a 13, 13. It's not losing any uh, power and toughness because of your life total. That's pretty good. But then there's also things like Kroxa, uh, you know, with the ET with the ETB trigger, it doesn't have that, so it can just be cast as a six six for uh, red and a black. What else? What other kind of interactions have you all seen with dress down and game states? Th- this card does everything. Uh, so I, I want to give a little shout out to the, like the legacy community because that's where I was seeing it in action, and then was like, why aren't we doing this in modern? And I feel like every time I see this card in action, I need to like pull out a little notepad and be like, oh, it does that too. Um, but the big things that it does in the format, particularly against Urza's Saga, it just kills the Karnstrucks. It's just blue and a one, draw a card, kill all Karnstrucks. Uh, it also will kill Scourge of the Skyclaves, uh, which is surprisingly nice if you happen to, to run into somebody still playing that card. Uh, you can do it in response to certain creatures. So for instance, like if your opponent casts a Murktide, if you do this in response, it just won't have those counters on it. It's just going to be a 3-3. You can do it so that their Ragavan doesn't bounce. It doesn't have haste. You can do it so... Uh, I mean, it, basically, it's just endless. Like every time there's a creature, think about playing this card. Like, oh, you're going to cast a Walking Blista? Nah, nah, it's going to be dead. Oh, you were going to cast a Pure Steel Paladin and try to do some cool sequencing? No, it's not going to go, it's not going to actually equip anything this turn. And uh, yeah, you, you can even get this back in this deck with Luris at end steps. So that's your opponent just like, oh, you're going to cast that prime time that I couldn't counter? Nah, I'll go ahead and heat it now. Uh, it, it does yeah, everything. No, I feel like what makes this card really is the the flash is just outstanding it's absolutely outstanding because your opponent is forced to either you know just decide that they want to play into it or they can just you know just do their thing and then you just completely blow them out um the the big one is cards like you know fury solitude etc they just you know 
do the stuff anymore. Uh, it's weird with those in particular because now now they stick around. So <laughs> because the evoke trigger doesn't doesn't actually happen. So you know you just get like a free three two life link, but that's all it, that's all it does. But so you know use responsibly. Uh, but uh, those those are definitely the big ones because like your opponent is forced into doing the thing before they even know that you have the dress down or like the interaction with lures like. I mean, we of course needed another card to make Lurus busted. So they gave us that on MH2 with Dress Down and the interaction of being able to do it on your own end step so it, it's going to be around for your opponent's entire turn means that as far as you're concerned, like your opponent's never going to be able to just do anything cool with creatures on, on their main face ever. Um, so it's super, super powerful and uh, it just it, it's just going to keep getting better. Just like Lurus, it's only gonna get better, and and new interactions are gonna be coming up uh, constantly. And uh, yeah, the the the, the, the card is the real deal. The card is definitely the real deal, and I'm not surprised that Spike was packing, you know, just like the full four copies in the seventy five, three in the main deck, one in the sideboard. Like that is, that is. Um, I'm I'm curious if he would have wanted all statement. four main. I didn't I didn't actually ask him, but. Um, it's, I mean, you, you do have a lot of synergies, but you also kind of have like a couple of de-synergies. Like, you know, if you're forced into it on your opponent's sense step, you know, like you're just blanking your lures for the turn, it makes the RC into a 1-1. One, one. So that's also something sure. that you want to be watching out for. Of course, like you're the one in control of all of this. Under yeah, that's what makes it good, right? Is like you exactly. said, it's, it's, it has flash, it goes away. There's like timing things you can do with it. You can yeah. make your DRC not attack. You know, there's all mm -hmm. kind of things that you, you might want to do with it. One exactly. last note. Uh, this card actually removes protection. So, you know, oh, you're yeah. playing against that hammer time opponent and you needed to kill the Karnstrucks and stop the, uh, the, the pure steel. You can now also bolt the sanctifier in back. So it, it, it just is absolutely insane in that kind of matchup. Yeah. I think you're right, Fran, which is like, I think we're sort of scratching the surface of this card. And it's the kind of thing that could go into, it can go into other shells potentially. Like you might not get the, the whole, all the parts of the buffalo, like you're kind of getting in this deck, but I think there's a lot of ways that you can use this as a this piece of disruption, a piece of tech, and there's a lot of fun to be had there as well, which is kind of why we play the game, right? Yeah, no, exactly. This is this is probably I, I, after after what is like two months since MH2 or, or or whatever, maybe more at this point. Um, this feels like it's the most interesting card in the entire set. Like it just feels like mm. it's the one, is the single card that. It feels like we can we have kind of solved all of the other cards in the set, while this one, it, this one is the one that's still surprising me. Just like, oh yeah, that's right, I didn't think um, the, the latest one that that Evan that Everett had had been doing was um, Thing in the Ice. So like you dress down, then you play your Thing in the Ice comes into play with zero counters, and now just one spell flips it immediately. <laughs> um, so. That that was the latest one that I'm just like. Is your upheaval? Exactly. It's just like, uh, yeah, that that that's another thing that it does. You just end step. Uh, your point is end step. You play the the dress down on turn two. You untap. You play your thing in the ice, and now when you're on their turn, you just bolt or like you know thought scour or whatever. Like they just bounce. That they have to bounce everything. They can't even kill the thing in the ice unless they have double removal spell. Um, it's insane. Like it's it, it's super it's super crazy how. Like new new interactions just keep on coming with with, with a card like this. Uh, also, like so many judge calls too. <laughs> oh, I believe it. Yeah. 
so many judge calls. Uh, it's yeah, a like, good oh, time. I, for- I forgot to take it off the battlefield, and I forgot that I did this. And did- should that have happened? <laughs> um, all right. Sixth place, we've got our Mono White Hammer Pilot Colin Roundtree. The only thing weird about this deck is the singleton cranial plating, if you want to call that weird. Otherwise, it's a pretty normal build. I I have to applaud their use of 22 lands. It's another one of those decks where people love to shave lands, and it's probably always a wrong decision. Uh, seventh place, uh, Isaac. I don't know if it's Isaac or Isaac Contreras uh, on Gruel Panza. Uh, this is kind of... This is what you think it's supposed to be, probably. It's got, you know, it's running three Ragavans these days. I don't know if that's typical, but if you can play Ragavan, why not? Um, I just wanted to make like a little point uh, about the the, the 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 hammer deck list, which is something that we are starting to see, and I think that we should start seeing more right now, which is the two copies of Hushbringer in the sideboard. Oh yeah, it's essential. Uh, that I think that that is very very important. Just having some sort of like Hushbringer, Torpor Orb, style card. Um, the Elementals deck is very, very real. I don't think it's going anywhere. And I think that it's it's super, super strong. So like having access to yeah, Hushbringer... Thanks for calling that out. Yeah, and in particular, I actually do think that Hushbringer is better than um, than Torpor Orb, particularly in Hammer, because Elementals has, has access to Force of Vigor. And they they have almost... The, the only way that they can answer Hushbringer is like a couple of copies of like um, Prismatic Ending, or, or maybe like minus any with the fairy or, or something like that. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, they, they cannot answer the, the Hushbringer otherwise. So I think that it's even harder for them to answer the, the Hushbringer. So in the decks that, I, that, I can, that, I'm, that I've been playing, uh, I, I've been jamming some copies of Hushbringer in my cyber, which we can talk about that later. Right on. What are your all thoughts on Gruel Panza? Like, this is like the deck that has just continued to stick around for what, a year and a half now? It's just like, hey, I'm not a joke anymore. <laughs> I I think this deck was actually good for a little bit in the MH2 format. And it, it's kind of like, there'll be moments where I'm like, ooh, I really want to play Ponza this weekend. And then like the next day, I'm like, would definitely not play Ponza right now. <laughs> uh, having said that, I, I think this deck can just sort of do okay. I don't really feel like most of the main meta matchups are like good, but they're all like kind of winnable. And so it's like, well, like, like if you want to try to do kind of winnable and all of them, like I, I played this deck a while ago thinking I could prey on elementals. Cause I was like, Ooh, blood moon, blood moon gets them really good. And then elementals just demolished me. So I mean, take, take that as you will. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a weird deck in terms of, you know, um, it has like a bunch of very, very interesting cards but it feels like the second that those cards are are not well well set up like the deck just goes from okay to like unplayable so it's it's definitely very much a a, a meta game call i would say um with the exception that you can never ever beat a blue red murktide deck like that's just unbeatable so <laughs> I, if you see a, if you see a lot of like prowess and murktide decks like don't register ponsa but if you you got to do your run of fouls you just jam run a foul. You'll get rid of the Merc Tide. Don't even think about DRC being a three three. It won't happen. Just don't worry. It, it will. <laughs> I do it think you won't happen. Want, don't uh, worry about it. <laughs> the sideboard uh, Torpor Orb in this deck also because of Elementals, and I, I think they actually skipped that. But Karn is still a powerful card, and if you, you know Fury is a powerful card. Renin Six is a powerful card. It's not you know Ragavan do. So you're doing at least semi powerful things. Right on. And then uh, our 
last eighth place deck, Thomas Palm on Is It Prowess. It is what you think it is. Uh, sticking around. I was surprised. Not necessarily surprised. I mean, this deck still does things, but it definitely feels like it's just been sort of whole cloth replaced with the Merktide style decks. Or, you know, if you want to be an aggressive deck, you have a lot of other options these days. Something, uh, you know, like uh, even like Hammer Time, of course, has been shown to be super aggressive, but, or even Burn. But we see seven different decks in our top eight. I'm pretty happy to see that. But overall in the tournament, what are your all uh, overall thoughts on this tournament? How How is it maybe influencing how you're thinking about the format, how people playing at their LGS might make some decisions moving forward? I know that, you know, the Magic Online meta is just continually different than paper and the, the type of players that are there are, are different types of players frequently. So what does this make you think about? Um, I... <laughs> I'm a little surprised. I, I expected um, this is kind of jumping back a bit, but um, you know, looking looking at the decks that are showing up here, being the first huge, 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 big uh, paper tournament in, in quite a while, I thought a lot of the uh, the like classics of the format would have been there, but this this was really dominated by a lot of decks that are extremely dominated by new cards from Modern Horizons too. Um, mm -hmm. really expensive ones and and that really is much more of a factor in paper I found than it is um, on Magic Online. On Magic Online rental services, everybody's got everything so as soon as there is, there's like a you know a new hot list, people are on it right away um, this to me actually looked more like a Magic Online tournament than I would have thought um, compared to like your what your average you know paper tournament would have been um, I don't know if that's a result of there, you know, there being this huge void of paper tournaments, and Magic Online has really been the only content available for this kind of stuff. I, I'm not really sure, but but this is not really what I expected the the field to look like. A big one was, for example, is Heliod. I, like Fran was saying earlier, I thought that deck would have been really represented here. Yeah. Um, not only is it a, a deck that that plays much better in paper. But it was something so many people were on before, you know, paper tournaments really happening, and then it's just like not here at all. Yep, uh, it 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 doesn't really surprise me that what we're seeing because we're only seeing the the top performing decks, right? And what MH two has done to the format it is has completely rendered a lot of decks entirely obsolete. Um, it, it is it is very very sad it's really really painful to have to hear it uh but unfortunately right now like mh2 completely changed the face of the format in a way that it just completely brought the, the power level of the format up exponentially so if you want to play boggles you are not going to win like straight up you will not win you will lose over and over and over again because you didn't get any good cards from MH2. And before, you used to prey on certain decks that would exist, but those decks that would exist have been pushed out of the format by MH2. And now, you, not only are you getting owned, but also the decks that you used to own are getting owned as well. So, Boggles, unplayable. Don't touch it. Because, you I mean, you, you can, but you will lose. Like, you will not win a single match. This guy hates Boggles, man. No, uh, dude, well, it's just like... It, 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 it's, I'm sad because it was the buy for Amulet. That's why I'm not playing Amulet anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, all my good matchups have disappeared. 
Like, I used to pray on all of these, like, silly decks, like, gacha decks, like, amulet, like, Evolves and Dredge, and those decks don't exist anymore because the new format, the, the new cards have said, like, yeah, those decks cannot be okay anymore. Like, you cannot win whenever you play those anymore. Fran, I, I can't have asked for a cleaner and longer transition into our dive down <laughs> segment. So let's head on out of here, uh, take a quick break, and bounce on into the dive down. We're going to talk about thinking about playing, thinking about modern, playing modern through the Modern Horizons 2 lens. So stay with us. And we are back. And as both Fran and Evan were getting at, I think, before the break, Modern Horizons 2 has really changed modern. <laughs> I think it's pretty safe to say. Uh, and I know that you all have been talking about this you know, constantly on your pod, as well as just the impact of Horizons 2 on the way that we're playing modern, on the decks that are succeeding in modern, the way we have to think about building and playing decks in this format. And I kind of thought about the one when I thought about the way Horizons 2 cards and card design impacted the format, what I really got to was kind of the efficiency, the flexibility, and the power of what we expect to be doing in modern has, have all been increased, right? We've got, you know, for efficiency at least, like Goldfish. MTV Goldfish, which has like the list of the like top played cards in the format, six of the top fifty cost three mana or more, and you know, and that that's for the you know not counting the cards that can be evoked for free and whatnot and, and stuff like that. None of the forces. The numbers are similar for just creatures. They're similar for just spells. Not a lot of cards are even costing three mana or more. Like, Modern has really been getting more efficient over the years, of course, right? But, like, Horizons 2 has really pushed this to a new level. Like, your cards need to cost, like, nothing <laughs> or nearly nothing or do something very game-changing, even at the three-mana spot. Like, I think before Horizons 2, I'd put that magic number of, like, this card better win me the game or, like, turn the tides in such a favor uh, that it's worth casting, like at four, like you could say something like a an Urza or maybe even a Cryptic Command or like a Jace or something like that. Like that's four mana, right? And so I like that's these cards. <laughs> <laughs> um, but nowadays, I just feel like that that pivot point that like this card better be doing something awesome is three mana. Like Season Pyromancer is like refilling the hand, providing some tokens. Like uh, the classic Culligan's Command is a built-in two for one. And that now gets artifacts and stuff like that. like Or it has to synergize with the rest of the deck, like Risen Reef or like Dryad. Those are our three drops that are doing something pretty broken if they stick around, right? Yeah, I mean, if three for three mana, you get to completely wrath your opponent's board and bring a bunch of power back into play, right? And you can do that at instant speed, whenever is, is the, best, the best time for you. So... Uh, the bar has brought has been brought up significantly, I should say. <laughs> three mana giving you ten power on turn three is is very very real. I mean, uh, what's what's wild though, Fran, is you could always do that, right? I mean, not re I mean, you could, but like now, as you were saying, like so, I think that one of the big things for for decks like this, at, le at least in particular, is the fact that now they don't have to jump through uh, any sort of like hurdle, right? 
uh, because Shadowless Agent is just like, here it is, eat a silver platter, all for you to just win the game straight up. Before, mm-hmm. like, this deck's cat, I were playing Ardent Plea, right? Like, completely destroying their mana. Uh, they had to, like, stretch themselves so thin because, like, the only good, like, Cascade spells that are out of three mana are um, red-green, which is the one that we keep on playing, and blue-white. That's that's four colors. That's a lot of colors. Yeah, uh, it's a lot of damage that you're taking from your fetch lands. That is a lot of um, hurdles to, and like a lot of jumps and, and hoops to jump through. And now it's just three, and you can like cast dust of of, of basics, and uh, you know like your mana is super smooth. You get to play Blood Moon in the sideboard, right? <laughs> like that is <laughs> that is what we're doing right now. Yeah, I mean, Living End also gets another hyper-efficient thing in Grief, right? And Grief works mm-hmm. really well in Living End because it puts a card in your graveyard that you don't mind reanimating, and it's also helping clear the way for you. So that that's just another instance of like, hey, we're not only getting redundancy, we're getting efficiency here too. It's not just Grief, right? It's all the free spells. Uh, Charless Agent just so happens to pitch to Endurance, Force of Vigor, and Force <laughs> of Negation. Mm, weird. <laughs> Yeah, and we and we also have have even more options, right? Like the rhinos decks are now jamming fury in it. Like this kind, these were the kind of decks that are just like, well, the price that you have to pay for this is you don't have early game interaction, right? Like you, bone crusher giant is the best that you can do. And I was just like, well, how about I completely sweep your board of like you know ornithopter, like memnite and whatever with with this fury that I just cast for free while holding up my interactive uh, like two mana to bracing board where your 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 next thing you know like it's it's a lot like and modern horizons two really gave way too many tools for not enough. It feels like if you actually look at the CMCs, it's not actually that low. But that's a lie. Like, Merkdad is a two-mana card. <laughs> Merkdad is a two-mana 8-8 eight, eight with flying that grows even further when you have multiples. An interesting point to this, you know, we're, we're pointing to the Cascade decks as, like, an example of three-mana spells that, that beat it. One of the other popular three-mana spells in the format doesn't necessarily win the game, but it is, like, exactly the antithesis of these decks, the Teferi Time Raveler. So it's either things that are winning the game or things that are shutting down these very popular, these very big strategies right now. Um, yeah, that's like really changed the game, right? Mm-hmm. That card's been making a huge comeback, which is, you know, I, I like seeing it. But <laughs> One quick point, the one card that actually secretly costs a lot of mana that's still seeing a ton of play is Luris, right? Like that, that's mana. the secret one, because <laughs> it actually uh, costs funny. six, but... <laughs> I know it's yeah it's three twice I mean like for one mana like here's the stuff that you know it's been added to the format like if I need to refresh your memory like Ragavan, Esper Sentinel Ignoble Hierarch, Dragon's Rage Channeler, Prismatic Ending, Unholy Heat, Underworld Cookbook at two mana we're getting like Murktide like you said it's not really an an eight mana spell or whatever, Dothy Voidwalker Dressdown, Damn Unmarked Grave, Sterling Grove, Sanctifier Onvec, Priest of Felrites, and like, you know, those elemental incarnations are all essentially free if you need them to be. That's just continuing the pattern that we saw with like the forces from Horizons 1. Yeah, and not only are all of these cards more, more efficient, which they are, but they are some, like, 
unholy heat is absolutely outrageous. <laughs> like the fact that they printed unholy heat is outrageous. Like, I think like, that's the most egregious card in terms of impact on the format. I cannot convince myself that Jace the Mind Sculptor is a reasonable card for me to play anymore, and it's hugely part in in part for that card. Like Jace and Teferi have felt so bad to try to play as win conditions. Every time I slam, like I have one mana, it's gone. (laughs) Even even when you tick it up, it's so it's so brutal. Exactly, there's no escape, and there are certain cards that used to be like they used to see play specifically because of this reason. They used to see play specifically because you're like, all right, like I can play around Bolt with this one. Like I, I can play my Dryad on turn three, and I know that unless my opponent has a double spell, which is good for me, you know, playing against Burner or, or like playing against like a, a Prowess deck. Like if they spend two burn spells on my Dryad, I'm fine because those are burn spells that are not going to my face. Well, now out of here. <laughs> Here's four, a one four was spell. that sweet spot. Yeah, exactly. Or like, was that sweet spot with toughnesses, you know, even, even things like Wall of Omen and stuff like that. It was always it, like, all right, I don't have to worry about them one for one with this thing. But yeah, uh, Now I'm playing against Blue-Red, and it blows my mind that I resolve my Primeval Titan, and I have to set up the next one instead of Haste Attack, because if my opponent has Unholy Hit, I lose the game straight up. Like, I, I just lose the game, because they kill my Titan for one mana, and then I have nothing left, so it's it's insane. Like it's so unfair that I'm I'm spending I'm doing going through all of this work, man. <laughs> right. I'm working hard out here, you know. Tell, tell my play. tell my archon of cruelty that too. Exactly. <laughs> like, we're just working so hard to get this big fatties into play, and then oh, I only hit it for one mana. It's gone now. Jeez. The other thing to add is the other premier removal spell from MH2 in Prismatic Ending, which says nothing is safe. You believed it was safe. Yeah. It isn't. Like, Fran's trying to play the Primeval Titan. He's like, turn one amulet, and you end it. I try to play an Aether Vial. I'm just dead. Like, you're like, bye-bye Aether Vial. You're doing nothing. Yeah, I think that gets us neatly into the next part of, like, the flexibility of these cards, right? Like, Prismatic End, like, you know, we mentioned Prismatic Ending, any non-land permanent, and it scales as well. So it's not like, hey, I'm hitting any non-land permanent, but it's a Vindicate. You know what I mean? Or like a Vindicate-like effect that costs me a couple mana. It, it just scales with what you need it to be. And Unholy Heat can be a perfectly good, like what, Magma Spray type effect, or it's a ridiculous six damage if you have Delirium enabled. Like, you know, Dam's Spot Removal or a Sweeper... Uh, Merktide Regent is flexible in its casting cost. It can be as expensive or as cheap as you want it to be. You can leave what you want in your graveyard to keep Delirium as close to enabled as you as you want it to be. Like Ragavan can attack for two as a one drop, but also can provide you mana and card advantage options and can be dashed to invalidate sorcery removal. So it's like we have the power and the flexibility and efficiency built into these these type of cards. Yeah. I've just accepted it. <laughs> you have to. You I have was, to, right? I was fighting it for the longest time. I was sitting there the, when this when the set kind of came out, especially as Merktide was getting popular. I was still just like doing my best to jam these very slow cryptic command based control decks because right before Modern Horizons two came out, like Esper Control was actually in a pretty sweet spot. Um, that deck was that deck was actually kind of impressive, and I was just kind of getting into playing it again. And then the set came out, and I tried to keep playing it. Totally given up on that. I'm just all about monkeys and murktides now. That's like all I'm trying to do. Uh, it, it's it's just a it's just a different ball game. These cards are just doing so much for so little. Yeah, um, 
that's something that, that, we, that we also discussed um, is like the change in play patterns is, I think, it's it's a big, big deal, right? Like what Modern Horizons did is it completely changed the way that, we, you know, you, you play that for many, many years. Like you get used to playing with, with a card for many, many years. Like what... Um, what Evan was saying about like Jace plus. Yeah, yeah, like I, I play my Jace and I plus because I think my opponent has has a bolt. You know, like that's that's a removal spell you're kind of, that's a, a play pattern that you're kind of like used to, you know? Um, okay, like I'm trying to play around bolt, so I play my Deferi Time Rabbler and, and, and I plus it because I want to make sure that I can tap with it. And then on the following turn, I'm going to be able to protect it and, you know, do, do all this stuff. Well, all of that, throw it in the garbage. It doesn't work anymore. <laughs> All of that that you thought that you knew about the format, it's gone. Now you're playing a control mirror and you better plus that, minus that Teferi and get your card because your opponent's going to tap Prismatic Ending and you're not going to get your two for one and you're going to be super far behind. So you better adapt to the new play patterns because otherwise you're just going to get completely stomped on. It is different. It feels it feels very different. Um yeah, it's just, it's such an impactful set. So many of the cards are at the forefront of this format that it, it has a very radical change of, you know, what you need to be thinking about while playing. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good kind of strategic takeaway from this episode. And I want to keep keep picking your brains on this in terms of what, not only what's like strategies have been invalidated, but like what what mindsets have been invalidated do you think or like how has your mindset had to shift in the way that you think about and approach the format in terms of maybe your deck selection or your deck building or just turn to turn i think the biggest thing for me right now in building any deck if my deck is playing spot removal which basically is any deck that isn't like strict combo right uh i want like at least six removal spells because if my opponent plays a turn one Ragavan and I don't have one, I am dead, right? I just lose. And that I think that's a really good point as to why you see zero Aether Vial decks right now. Zero. And it, it breaks my heart. I love Aether Vial. I would love to Vial some things into play. And I just can't do it. Like, my opponent goes, like, let's say I'm on the draw. My opponent goes turn one Ragavan. I go turn one Aether Vial. Like, I'm, I'm dead. It's over. We're done. And, and what's worse is even if I'm not against the Ragaman, I go turn one vial, maybe I needed that vial. You know, you used to be able to Archmage Charm it to ferry it, and that like took at least a minute. Now you're just like, oh, turn one Prismatic ending it. And I got nothing out of it, right? Like, at least if I play my Renin Six and you immediately Prismatic ending it, I pinged something or I got a card. Like, everything needs to do something or it's just like, you know, I, I don't have anything to vial in at zero, right? I'm not putting Asmo in my Taxes deck yet. <laughs> I think that's true, um, but I I don't know I I think Ragavan's an example people use a lot, um, but I think we weren't that far from that before all this anyways. You know if if your your prowess opponent plays a turn one monastery swift spear and you don't have the removal spell for that, you're probably going to lose that game. Like that was that was a big play pattern for that deck. Even burn they played goblin guide. And you did not immediately have a removal spell for Goblin Guide, and that Goblin Guide connects twice, maybe three times, but even just twice, you're probably actually losing that game. Um, so while while Ragavan is like the one right now, and, and you know it, it feels like the the card advantage thing too. I, I think something about the feeling of Ragavan, like yeah, it feels 
completely unwinnable. I think maybe more so than these other cards. I, I think those cards connecting, very similar result. Just wanted to add, like, mm-hmm. I, I do have a secret strategy right now of how to beat Ragavan. And I learned this from a legacy streamer because uh, Death and Taxes, Yorian, Death and Taxes specifically, has been doing really well there. And he was like, I don't care if Ragavan hits me because all my cards suck. Like, I would exactly. love for them to cast <laughs> this Thalia or hit that planes or, you know, the, the solitude that they can't cast. So that's my next strategy of like, you know, I, I got to put taxes back in the form. It's like, all right, hit me, take the Leon and Arbiter, see Just if I can. Just play bad cards. I, I think that th- th- there's a key difference uh, with, with what you're saying, Evan, is like the axis in which all of those cards that you're talking about would fight was life total, right? Like, so that was the only axis in which you were getting attacked. Now you're not getting attacked. The, the thing that Ragavan does that it's so absurd is the fact that it doesn't only attack on the on the life total axis. And very, very importantly for for the decks that play Ragavan specifically is, is the mana aspect. I don't think that you even care about the card advantage most of the time. Like, yeah, sure, like you, you sometimes get like a free like bolt or a few seven visions, and it's it's incredibly backbreaking. But like that's that's not really what you're what you're going for. What you're going for is, you know, turn one monkey, turn two DRC plus hold up counterspell. Like that is the sequence that is not beatable. Like there's nothing that you can do about this. If you didn't answer the monkey on turn one, like, there's nothing you can do about this. Like your opponent ha- is is never gonna draw that card anymore. It's because it, it, the DRC is just going to enable that. They're always going to be ahead of you on mana, and there's nothing that you can do to keep up because if you were to be able to do anything, they would like they just counter it. <laughs> it, it it's very easy. I I do agree that I mean that was kind of what I was saying though, right? Was that that losing to this monkey feels different because it is attacking on these other axes. My point was that while it feels a little bit different. Those things surviving on turn one, the result was still the same. You lost the game, and and they were kind of doing something even similar, where you know they were getting they were getting their swift spears down. I know we're not seeing prowess as much anymore. It's because this deck is kind of taking that spot, but they were getting these threats down. And while they weren't getting that mana advantage, I was losing to them spell piercing my removal spell all over the place. <laughs> like they still did have the same play pattern of like slate play my thing, have a cheap you know, interactive spell or protector, whether it was mutagenic growth to stop the bolt or spell pierce to literally counter whatever the removal spell was, it was still very similar play patterns. Um, so I just think modern's actually been in a spot where we're losing to one drops, like for a while, <laughs> if you don't have the removal spell, you've always had to play the removal spell. I agree with that, but to an extent, because if the only axis that getting attacked is your life, if you can maneuver into a point where you don't care about that life, then you can get away from that. What I what I mean by this is like your opponent does all of the stuff, like they attack your life, they attack your life, and then you play, you know, if you're playing Ad Nauseam, or like you're just playing Unlife, and it's just like all the damage that you dealt up until this point doesn't matter whatsoever. If I have a double amulet draw, I play my Primeval Titan, you're actually just dead. So like, sure, I'm at one life, I'm at two life, whatever. It doesn't matter because you're dead. So you can render that the, the damage um if you maneuver in such a way, you can actually go over the top of that. You cannot really go over the top of the monkey. Like I, I think that it that is that I, in my opinion is, is the big difference. Like you can't really go over the top of the monkey because the monkey has a different a different surrounding, which is like the monkey allows you to play a control deck because you know like 
the Builder Murktide deck is is a, it's, it's it's really a control deck. It's playing like counter spells. It's playing Archmage's Charm, and you're playing eight. Perhaps you lands. mean tempo deck, Fran. <laughs> oh, let's let's not, let's not go there, please. Um, no, but, but for real, like it's one of the like you these decks are playing eighteen lands, and they get away with it because of Ragaman and and DRC because these cards just mean that they are going to they'll be fine. Right, yep. it's the, it's the same thing that we see in Delver with like you know ponders and, and brainstorms, right? Like it's 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 kind of like the same concept of you you have more business, so you you have more spells, and you play less lands, and th- these cards give you either the mana in the case of Ragavan, so you don't really need to hit your land drop every time, or it gives you the um, the, the the card selection, card filtering, which is what DRC gives you. Uh, so like you can keep in one lander in your control deck, and you're fine. Like historically, if you were playing a control deck, you were playing 25 or 26 lands because if you ever missed a land drop, if you miss land drop number three, the game was over. That's just not the case anymore with with, with this decks. So we're focusing a lot about on Ragavan, which I think is fair. Is a very shifting and and sort of power consolidating card. In a lot of ways, like what do you, what do you think else? We, so we talked about Prismatic Ending, we've talked about Ragavan, we've talked about Dragon's Rage Channeler, and I don't know if DRC, DRC is not the kind of card that wins the game. Oh, hold on, like, I think it's, it's it's maybe a little presumptuous to say she <laughs> doesn't win the game by herself because she she does in a different way than I think uh, Ragavan does. What do you think is actually happening to the format that is that is pushing out some of the older strategies that we knew and loved and respected if we didn't play them like you know something like a taxes deck spider space or something like even classic azorius control evan like what what is happening to the format that makes those decks a lot harder to succeed to succeed with apparently well so first of all i need to use a term that i've coin that Evan hates, so I have to keep using it, which Don't is the uwuissance <laughs> that we've been having. That, oh, that no. meaning blue-white has been having a renaissance. of. We've been seeing all these decks, specifically because of uh, MTGO user Watu or the Guillaume Wavatabo just taking down event after event with blue-white. And somehow. Somehow. I, I, I don't, I've, I've been playing those lists. It's not even... Those lists are good. Uh, I, I, sorry, as a, as a, not to interrupt you, but I know that's been like a that's kind of been the the sentiment around these is like, oh my gosh, how are these people doing well? With these because because Nasif's been playing them as well. I they are they are going against everything that I feel like we talk about this format and what we say is good in this format, and they're just like playing factor fiction, like this giant four mana draw spell. But they just kind of work. I've been playing them and just like rattling off four ones. And there you go. Yeah. So like there there is something to these strategies, and I don't. I don't quite understand why they're working because on paper it doesn't seem like they should in these formats that are like low to the ground efficient. I don't know. It's 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 very confusing. <laughs> it's been something I'm trying to figure out. That's kind of what uh, I was wanting to get at, which is that the format is still adjusting. Like, yes, we have these top decks. Yes, they're still very good. But, you know, maybe that DRC or that Ragavan is worse in the format at large now than it was a little while ago because everyone is doing exactly what I said. They're like, everyone has to have the four lightning bolt and, you know, whatever it is, your, your six removal spells. It's like all of a sudden, okay, maybe my Ragavan feels a lot worse now. And if my Ragavan feels a lot worse now, then, oh, maybe I get to untap with my turn two counter spell and then factor fiction things, right? So it's like we're seeing these shifts of it got a lot mid rangier. And all of a sudden, Tron came out of the woodworks. 
And guess what? Tron was really terrible against that Ragavan, but if your opponent's trying to play blue-white control, maybe Tron's not such a bad choice, right? Or Elementals. Yeah. Burn's been coming out, too, and, and I think that's a result of the Tron coming out now. Burn's kind of making a comeback as well. I've been running into, running into a ton of that. And there's, like, new versions of Burn that uh, Spike is trying to, you know, sort of push and be like, hey, you need to be playing <laughs> Ragavan and Dragon's Race Channeler and Burn, friends. At, at least the DRC. I think that... Dragon's Race Challenger is just so messed up. Yeah, it's an interesting card. It's it's insane. Mm-hmm. Like and and I feel like it wasn't really talked about uh, as much at the beginning of of, of the, the spoiler season. Well, I think what's interesting is people freaked out because they were like, "Oh, I have a three three flyer," and they weren't freaking out because they have something to spool through their deck with. And that's actually, I think, what's made it be far more successful than I anticipated. I called it the most probably the most overrated card in the set. As a Delver, it's perhaps the most underrated card in the set as a card filtering engine. Yeah, and and there's also you know another which you know I I feel like we, we when we did a set review I feel like this is this is one of the cards that that we brought up that nobody was talking about that I'm like I think this card is pretty busted and the same thing uh, we said about Prismatic Ending which nobody was talking about Spoiler Caesar. Now there's one card that we really did miss. And which is a really big reason of why um, DRC is so good, which is Unholy Heat. Unholy Heat is really, really good. And I feel like nobody... And I feel like that's one of the reasons why DRC wasn't really seen as as good as it's going to be. Yeah, the one-two combo. Exactly. As an Unholy Heat enabler, DRC is incredible. Like, the consistency which we do get, like, Delirium as early as turn two is disgusting. <laughs> Like it, I, it really is absurd. I don't know if people were missing on Prismatic as much as Heat. Heat was definitely... Yeah, one Heat was slept I on, I think. Was super slept on in the beginning, for well, sure. So, in terms of... This this pushes out some of even your favorite decks, you know, Fran. Like, Titan is a lot harder to play, I think, right now. I've heard you talk about that on, on Babel quite a bit, is that you're just kind of off it because you feel like you have to be... What opportunities do we have here? And I think, Evan, you've been hinting at it a little bit, which is like, there are ways to explore control decks. There are ways to explore, you know, the, the metagame on the whole. Uh, we've, we've like you, you guys were mentioning the sort of the evolution. I think we saw even in like in pioneer, which is like, Hey, as the metagame gets mid rangey, we get Niv going over the top and then decks trying to trying to go over the top on that maybe with like a ramp and then how do we get back under that and like the cycle of the meta continues to to flow and in modern we have a ton more cards and a lot more power than we do when we do in pioneer and so i think we can see the same thing happen in very different ways so what are you how are you thinking about approaching the format right now because you know as as a streamer and as someone who's trying to you know keep their tickets flowing on magic online you're trying to win so how are you all thinking about trying to win right now? It, it is really tricky. It's like you're saying, modern in, is in this state where it is like constantly shifting. Like it's not even week to week. It's like day to day that, you know, you're having to make pretty pretty significant card choice decisions. I, I've been uh, definitely finding it uh, a bit challenging with, with control specifically because it's a deck that is so much a reactive strategy. Um, so, you know, you see these, these 
these very big decisions, meta decisions being made um, in the main decks and whatnot, you know, like these, like Chalice main deck, a control deck that's running Chalice main deck is looking a lot, like way different than a deck that is not running Chalice main deck. You're having to make all these, all these, all these kind of decisions. Um, it's hard. I, I'm, I'm, I am like, personally, I'm having to spend a lot of time consuming content when I am not streaming to try to keep a, you know, a, a finger on the pulse of the format because it is just, I mean, it's, it's rapid changes every, you know, rapid changes and just trying to keep up with it, trying to just trying to keep with what people are playing. Like the other night, somebody was like, Hey, I just want to let you know, burn's really popular right now. Sure enough, that night I hit burn constantly throughout the league. It was like one league was like three burn matchups and it, it, it really is. It really is that fast, you know? Yeah. Um, I feel like it's, it's very important. Um, at least for me, you know, what, one thing that I've been trying to do is just, I, I made a reputation as a streamer by streaming Amulet, right? And I, it has served me well. I'm not going to say no. Like uh, any, any, every single like competitive event that I've ever played in, in paper also, I've played Amulet and I, I, I top 16 the GP where where Oko was legal <laughs> and like I I cashed the GP where Hogak was legal and a lot of this stuff with Amulet because I was able to once once you have a target that you want to hit I feel like there's a lot of room to maneuver and there's a lot of ways that you can have a plan right so I I played in in that in GP Hogak in Las Vegas and I get got paired against Hogak like four times and I beat it three out of the of the four times because my list was sick against Hogak like my list was tuned specifically to beat Hogak and I had everything going on and I I I was playing like field of the enemy deck when nobody else was playing it i was cutting my back to negation when everybody was like slamming back to the negation in the main deck like i was doing all of these tweaks and, and changes in order to to fight the metagame that i expected when i was playing you know when oko and ursa were in the format i, I built my entire deck, changed the meta i started a bunch of blue sources so that i could play mystical disputes in the cyber and those disputes were great so i i did a lot of like Reaching and and like tuning and like making sure that I can I have a fighting chance, and then what happened with Valky, like, you know that the Valky winter summer whatever it was like the table trickery nonsense or like the cascading to Valky thing. That's when I realized that sometimes it's better to just let go. <laughs> so that's that is what has been helping me win a little bit more when I when I. I was smashing my head against the wall too much, you know, trying to, I, I, I wasted so many tickets trying to be that stupid Valky deck, man. So many tickets down the drain and just like smashing my head over and over again, like tuning this and trying this and playing like this card and trying this card out. Nothing worked because just by design, my deck was, it just needed too many things to go right while my opponents didn't. And there was nothing that I could do to slow them down. So it's just, I was in a situation where like from the design, deck design point, I was just losing 100% of the battle. So when I moved on from there and I realized that, okay, I need to do something about it is when I started winning more. I, I remember back in the Udo, in the Udo, like when, when I created the, the Green White Reclaimer deck, that's what inspired it. I'm like, everybody's jumping four Aether Gusts. I cannot resolve Primeval Titan. It's just not gonna happen. Everybody's playing Aethergust and, and Mystic Sanctuary. Okay, so what can we do? And and somebody said as a meme, well, just violate any of your, your primeval titan. And I'm just like, 
I mean, desperation was uh, can sometimes be helpful, you know. And I, that's what I started doing. And I started playing with Reclaimer. I'm like, yeah, either God sucks against the Grimoire Reclaimer deck. It's just not very good. Like it, it, it's built to beat that card. So by by learning how to when to like move on and try something new, that's when I've been able to to find success uh, lately. And 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 this is what I'm doing right now with the with the Nylands deck that I've been working on uh, because. There are a bunch of like no nothing lines up well. Like Primeval Titan in, in Amulet just doesn't line up well against anything in the format currently. <laughs> um like Tron, if you get part against Tron, but like, you just have a bad matchup against Hammer, you have a bad matchup against the Murktide decks, you have a bad matchup against the Cascade decks. Like everything is an uphill battle. So what do I do? I just you know, I just Play a deck that can main deck Chalice of the Void. I can play Ren and Six and, and Prismatic Endings that kill Ragavans and play Elvish Reclaimer that if my opponent doesn't answer on turn one, is going to take over the game thanks to Ursa Saga. Like, that's that's just what you do. You know, when, once you accept defeat, <laughs> you can move on and you can try to see, okay, what? how do I tackle this format? How can I attack this format? What are the key cards? Can I figure out a way to, to make these things work? And we're even seeing like the interaction that I was trying to work on was like Ren and Six plus Rusa Saga. I saw that I thought that nobody was was uh, was exploiting that interaction, and right now we're seeing exactly that with the big rule decks that started showing up, uh, which I think it's very very good. Um, it's like a, a gruel Ren Ursa Saga deck. Like the interaction between Ren and Ursa Saga has been busted from day one, and like nobody has been trying to break it out until now. I think. Knowing when to give up is a big thing and really like keeping your, your finger in the wind and admitting like, all right, there's nothing I can do. I, I, I'm a pretty stubborn magic player sometimes of like, I don't want to do it. I'm not going to give up on it. I can, you know, it can be improved. It can be fixed. And, you know, I, I was, I had to make exactly that call. Like I gave up during Valky's reign of terror and I believe I won the only big MTGO event with Valky because I was like, I, I embrace the degeneracy, right? And I, for what it's worth, I don't think we're at that spot where you just have to say, all right, always play rhinos or whatever it is. I, I don't think we're at that spot at all. But I do think we're at a spot where it's like, maybe you just can't register merfolk. Like maybe you just can't do it anymore. And it, and it's heartbreaking. But I, I haven't put a Thali in my deck in a while because I, I just, it just, it hasn't felt good. And it doesn't, it feels like it doesn't matter even when the like meta is shifting because you just still have such powerful things. Like it's really hard to mid range when the best mid range card is Urza Saga. And you're like, oh, I'm not, I'm just not going to do that. Right. It's, I guess it's Urza Saga and it's Luris. Right. And if you're just not doing those things, it's like, well, what are you, what are you doing? Uh, so what I try to do is I, I try to brew and try to like figure out good things at the moment. And sometimes I'm successful. Sometimes I'm not. I know the last list that I was really enjoying was this, my like Grixis reanimator slash indomitable creativity deck. And I think that deck was really good, but I've also been losing with it the last two or three times I've played it. And the reason is, is because the format has already shifted from that moment of where I was beating up those aggro decks like hammer and I was beating the other mid range decks. I, it has shifted. So I played against blue white control and they countered everything I did. So I put Thoughtseize in my deck and then I played against burn. <laughs> and, and, and that's, that's just how it goes sometimes. Sometimes you have to take that L and you go like, all right, now Tron's the big deck. 
So I just can't be doing my dirtily thing where I put Archon into play, maybe, because my Tron opponent's going to go, like, turn one Relic, and then they're going to have Spatial yeah. Contortion or or uh, the Warping Whale to counter my Indomitable anyway, and their threats go over the top of what I'm doing. So you have to, like, all right. Like, I, just like Fran said, the, like, Ren and Six deck uh, with Urza Saga, I really enjoyed Teamer with, with, with Urza and Ren and Six and Saga's probably the best in my opinion one of the best mid-range decks in the format for that moment and now we're gone because i'm going to just play against tron and i'm going to dirtle and lose yeah one of the things that i think you three have to do more than the normal player probably is is learn from what's happening like learn from your games learn from your matches what do you think the best way our listeners can think about their matches and try to learn from them and adapt to the changing meta, right? Like it's 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 a lot more than I won and that felt good, and I lost and that felt bad, right? But it's hard to it's sometimes hard for me, especially just to get past that. Like I won, therefore it was good. What do you think people should be thinking about and looking at in their games? I think the biggest thing in terms of keeping up is just consuming content. Honestly, like. Uh, Evan just mentioned it of like even when he's not playing he's having to watch streams to know what's going on and keep your finger on the pulse but as far as your own games I think probably the biggest thing in my mind for players in general is being able to accept like man sometimes like this is what my deck is designed to do maybe I took a bad beat or maybe it just like didn't line up I know I was trying to play living in for a minute and then just like drawing all the living ends in a match. And it's like, Oh, this is like super low, uh, probabilist, like in a probabilistic sense of like, it's just not going to happen, but it happened. And you know, you have to be able to accept that. And like, that's, that's the price of entry with what you're doing. And if you can get past that, you know, it's, it's not always an easy thing, but it, it, it enables you to like, okay, like I lost that. Why did I lose that? Was this out of my control? Yes. Okay. It's fine. Was it in my control? Well, okay, it's still fine, but what did I do that led to that point where I lost control? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say is I love losing in a way uh, because from when from the losses is where you can... I, I feel like you at least get the most... Sure, there, there are some losses that are, you know, your opponent goes turn one Memnite, turn two, like, Cigar the Save, or, like, you know, and they just hammer you on for 20 on turn two. Like, sure, you, you had nothing you could have done there. Like, you kept a hand that had an ETB tapped land that you were going to play on turn one. The game is over, right? Like, there was nothing you could have done there. But I feel like the, the games that are close and I lose are my favorite ones because those are the ones where I'm just like... Wait, could I have done something different? Or like I, I did something and then I top deck this card that I didn't think of. I'm just like, oh wow. Like if, if I had thought that I could top deck this card, last turn I could have done this instead, which would have led this to be to be the out. So now the next time that I find myself in a situation similar to this, I'm gonna try to think, okay, what if I draw the, this card right here? So I feel like you can learn a lot from your mistakes in, in that way. And I feel like another thing is, or at least something that I do, like every Friday I do what I like to call a series called Know Thy Enemy, where I play, I just play tier one decks, right? Like I just grab a deck and I play a tier one deck. And what I I really love doing that because by being, by my, me being the person that's playing those decks that I usually don't play, um, it gives me an idea of what matters and what doesn't. 
and it gives me an idea of how do certain decks feel. Uh, for example, like this past weekend, I did uh, Timor Rhinos. And that is a deck that for the longest time I've been, you know, I've been kind of like scratching my head and be like, why is this deck all the time putting up good results? Literally since day one of Modern Horizons 2. I remember like Team Rhinos like winning the very first Modern Challenge or like or like top eight or whatever. I can't remember exactly, but um it was it was towards the top of the tables and it looked busted. And I'm just like, how will this deck continue to do this thing? And I played it this past weekend. And I'm just like, oh, this is why. The deck just has no fail rate. Like, the deck never fails to do the thing that it's supposed to do. Like, it just always does it on turn three. So that's why you do it. Like, most decks, can't, they, they need things to go right or, or, or they can't beat this kind of thing. I, I got paired against Burn, right? And my opponent goes like turn one goblin guy, turn two something, and I just put two, like, two power, two, uh, uh, four force into play. I block their goblin and they're just like, they can never race me. <laughs> they resolve an Eidolon, and I'm just killing them way before they're gonna be able to do anything. It's it, it, it's wild, and I'm just like, oh, I mean, this is wild. Like this deck just is super consistent. It does its thing super well. So by the end of the league, I'm like, are people just like actually skimming on lines? Like I, I always make this joke anyway, but like here it's just like I'm mulling in multiple one landers right throughout the entire the, the couple of leagues that I played, and I'm like maybe should I just be playing one more land? Because like, the deck doesn't do anything until you hit land, num- land drop number three. So I'm moving it into five because I'm shipping one landers left and right. Should I just be playing more lands? Is, like, is that actually the answer to the question? Uh, I, I, you know, th- That's the way that I try to think about it. And of course, I do this way more with decks that I brew and, and with decks that I, I, I am working on. And this is what I did with, with, with the Naya Lands deck that I've been working on for like a couple of months now. Just like tuning and trying things out. Like, can I play Chalice in the main deck? Yes. Well, it turns out I can. Chalice is great. Awesome. Uh, you know, like, but you figure this kind of stuff by seeing, okay, I lost against the Cascade decks like over and over again. Can I fix that with my deck? Well, actually, it turns out I can. <laughs> you know, there, there is a way to fix it. So um, by, by trying things out in that way and, and learning from, from your losses, I feel like that is the best way that you can improve um your game, and by saying your game, I include, of course, stuff like deck building or like metagaming and, and, and stuff like that. It, it feels like it, that's at least what, what has worked out for me and continues to work for me. So that's what I would recommend. So so kind of like Fran with um, with Titan, I I personally have built up... Counterspell is in my deck is basically the thing with <laughs> Like If I'm playing something, then I want to play Counterspell is in my deck. So... so I have with with these control decks. What I'm really thinking when I'm playing is is not so much play by play. It, it, it's usually like league to league. Am I approaching this format with the proper tools? Um, am I am I bringing the right things for the matchups that I'm seeing? And you know that that was a that was a big shift for me because I know I I initially approached this wrong. I was so excited about counterspell coming out. I'm like I'm gonna have all these counterspells and arc major charms and cryptic commands and all this stuff. You know, like now I'm like, all right, so I'm not going to play cryptic commands. That was a mistake. I'm not going to be playing these Jaces. You know, I'm, I'm like figuring out it league to league. It's always just it, it, exactly that. Am I, am I playing the right tools? Am I, do I have the right answers for what this, 
you know, the questions that this format is asking. And that's, that's the main thing I'm always trying to figure out. That's why I'm watching so much content. I'm seeing what people are playing. I'm seeing what kind of threats I need to be dealing with and, and all that kind of stuff. But that's a, that's, you know, a, a very specific to the archetype I'm, I'm often playing, uh, more so than just like magic or, you know, modern in general. Right on. All right, y'all. Of course, we are at time because we all have a lot to say. But before we get into uh, wrapping this show up, I want to briefly give you the opportunity to promote yourselves. Where can people find you on Twitch? Uh, where can they find uh, Mishra's Babble? Uh, well, you can find me <laughs> on uh, Everos uh, on Twitch as, as well as YouTube and uh, on Twitter as well, Everos TTV. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to be starting off with, with Bubble, and Bubble is in, it's called Mishra's Bubble, B-A-B-B-L-E, and uh, the, the main places where you can find us are Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, Podcast Addict, Pocket Casts, and it, there are some, some other things. Hopefully, hopefully... Uh, Apple Podcasts coming soon. <laughs> we're going to try to look into that. And we're also looking into into making uh, like a Twitter account and stuff like that. Again, like since we, we started things uh, with the podcast just for fun, like the, the whole concept was to just have some fun. Um, we didn't really think all this stuff through. So yeah, it spirals out of control quickly. Yeah, exactly. We're like, well, wait, wait a second. Do people actually care about what we're saying? Jeez. Okay. I guess we have to take this maybe a little bit more seriously. Um, not too much more seriously. Uh, but yeah, so we will, we'll make sure to eventually make a, make a Twitter and we're thinking about making a Patreon and stuff. Um, but for me personally, I stream on Twitch at F P A W L U S Z. That is, it's pronounced uh, Pavlush. That's my my last name minus the ek. Don't worry about it. Uh, you, you just just Google that Titan guy, and I may show up. Uh, and in in Twitter and YouTube, where I upload all of my vods, and in Patreon, you can find me at f Pavlush MTG. Uh, finally, I am Spiderspace on Twitch and Spiderspace MTG on Twitter. Easy stuff. Y'all, thanks so much for being on. It's been great to have some guest hosts to chat about magic with, and I appreciate y'all coming on. And everybody, go check out all these gentlemen streaming on Twitch. Go check out Mishra's Babble if you have not. It's a quality pod. And with that, wraps up this week's show. If you haven't yet, subscribe to the pod so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you feel like it, go to uh, Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a review. If you want to get at us, leave us some feedback or a question, anything like that, uh, you can find us on Twitter, the dive down, all one word, or email thedivedown at gmail.com. If you want to support us, keep us going. Join our Patreon. Join at any tier, even a buck a week. You get immediate access to the definitively discreet dive down Discord. Uh, it's uh, the only place I like to hang out and actually talk about magic. So head on over in there. Thanks again to Mana Traders sponsoring us. Uh, sign up for Mana Traders using promo code the Dive Down 2021 gets you 15% off your first two months of rental service. And as always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Space Blood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and cast Mishra's Babble.